be good to just kind of follow on from, from that a bit. Um, I think one of the things that has certainly kind of come through for me over these uh, few years, really, um, and I, I talk about a lot, so I've been to your churches or whatever, you'll know that, you know, I, I love speaking about let's experience our theology. Um, uh, and so, you know, in some ways, you don't want to come and give you more theology. We got, we got plenty. We're good. We're well taught. We are well taught in our churches. And, uh, and, and we teach well. You teach well. Um, but what I had to come to is that place where I have not just an understanding of what might be, but an expectation that it will be. Um, and, you know, there's stuff that I could preach in your churches and you'd sit there and you'd shout, yes, amen, I believe it, but zero expectation of it actually happening. And, you know, Jesus said that, that he, he came, you know, to heal the brokenhearted, to set the captives free, to heal the sick, raise the dead. And he said, just as I have come, now I send you. Anybody not have that theology? No one. We all have that theology. Now, where is your expectation of an experiential encounter of that theology? And that's what we need to do. We need to raise our thinking. We need to raise our hearts to thinking. Now, this isn't just good knowledge this is a pattern for life, and I should have an expectation of it. Now, I'm not, I'm not there yet, you know, but we've got we've to work out that we, 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 don't, we don't end up discussing the things we don't understand to the expense of doing the things we do understand. You know, when Jesus came and he said, these things you will do, and yet even greater things will you do. And what happens is we go into our huddles and we start asking, I wonder what those greater things are. Do we mean greater in size? Do we mean greater in quantity? Do we mean greater in quality? What, what do we mean? And we start discussing and spending time looking at these things that we don't really understand. But actually there's a bit of that verse at the beginning that we do understand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, set the captives free, declare favour. These things shall you do. But we're not doing them because we're too busy discussing the things that we don't know what they mean. I'm just saying. All right, I'll just put, you can have that one for free. That's not in my notes. That was just, that's just a freebie off the back of what Dave was saying. But that's what word and spirit coming together must look like. It's not a better understanding of the spirit it's that our understanding releases the power of the spirit in us to do life the way the new testament shows us we get to do life and um that's what this is all about and that's what we've got to do so we've got to dig these ditches that are going to flow out into the world and actually there's stuff we have to be careful doesn't then slip into those ditches to stop the flow of the Spirit, because there's stuff that your junk kind of falls in. And so it's all very well thinking, how do we dig these ditches to allow the flow of the Spirit to come? 
But we also have to recognize what gets in the ditch that stops the flow of what Father wants to do, what Holy Spirit is looking for us to carry in terms of the kingdom into um, the community. And that's what uh, I'm going to speak about in this session. Um, Hazel's going to come and speak uh, about it as well. So I want to I tackle a couple of things. I want to I talk about unbelief. They're not a normal thing to talk about amongst uh, a church or b- group of believers. Because it's easy to think, well, by definition, we're believers, so therefore we can't be unbelievers. We can't have unbelief. But unbelief, I think, actually creeps in and blocks those ditches really, really quickly. And I want us to, to look at that. Another boulder that falls into our ditches is satisfaction. Where we've become satisfied with the not yet. And then the other thing is massive is fear. And Hazel's going to come and speak, uh, speak to us on, on fear. Is that all right? That's where we're going. Okay, superb. Um, unbelief. I really feel that that is something that stems actually God moving, not just in the world, but actually in our meetings. Now, before anyone <laughs> blows a gasket um, and tells me that nothing can block the flow of the Holy Spirit, if God's going to do something, he's going to do it. Let's read some scripture and see if you still think that by the time we've finished. Is that all right? Okay. Mark 6, verses 1 to 6. He, that was Jesus, went away from there and he came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are these not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and his own household. And he could do no mighty work there. Except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and they were healed. Okay, you'll be laughing on the other side of your face in a moment, all right? So I'm glad you laughed. I found it amusing, but actually it came back to bite me when I thought about it, and we'll come back to that in a minute. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And then he went around the other villages teaching. Now, the thing with unbelief is because we're very, very British, we're not often outspoken in truth. We can be outspoken, but not always with truth. And so probably if I was to tell you some funny stories, some crazy stories of some of the, the craziness um, that we, we see from time to time. I can tell you stories of, of angel, angelic choirs singing in, in one of our conferences. It's out there, I don't know, but it happened. Many, many, many people heard that. Um, we got stories of all sorts of weird and wonderful bits of gold dust and all of this. Now, look, I haven't got a theological pot to put that in. All I can tell you is there's a sign that makes me wonder, and that's okay. They're signs. They point to someone else. They are not things that we pursue. We, we, we always go, what's this sign pointing to? We don't camp out at the sign. I didn't, you know, when I get on the M6, you see a sign for crew. You go, oh, let's stop. We're here. 
This is it. There's a sign right there. This is, this is what it's all about. This is where we're supposed to be. No, it just says you're on the right track. You're going the right way. You know, keep going. You're getting there. That's what it's for. So those things happen. But as I talk about those things, it's very easy. You wouldn't really get, go, well, I just don't believe you, Andy. Because you're all too nice. You're nice people. You're nice Christians. What you'd say is, well, do you know what? I'm just naturally a bit skeptical about such things. You know, it was just like sometimes I'm just kind of, I'm naturally cynical. But unbelief, cynicism, and skepticism are just different flavors of the same poison. They're all unbelief. That's where they come from. And as I say, often you'll, you'll find you can tell stories of, of healing, of, of stuff happening, and sure enough, afterwards, you, you get people come. where's your evidence? Where is it? And you're just thinking, there's a person standing there who was in pain, who is now not in pain. What do you need? X-rays, everything else? Yeah, it's great when we can get them, but that person is stood there declaring they are now pain-free. And what happens is you just see there's this element of unbelief just begins to, to, to creep in. And often you can see it when you're telling stories, you're giving testimony, you're doing that stuff, and there's always a few people, and you can see it looks like they're sucking on a lemon. You can just, you can just see it. And actually, if I'm honest and I look back and I consider my own life, I can, I can see that there are times when I've been like that. When you, you hear stories and you just kind of, you know, you just, you know, at best you just dismiss them and whatever, you know? And uh, it's just allowing kind of unbelief to creep in. And, and, and we've all done it. I know I have. And it's, it's this rock actually of unbelief. And it will come and it will block the ditch that you've been digging to let the flow of the Spirit come, it will, it will come and it will, it will block that ditch. And this is what Jesus came up against in that passage that we've just read. When he came up against it, it limited what he could do. So it said he could do no mighty work. So the plan was a mighty work. The objective was a mighty work. That's, that, that's what the, the writer is saying, essentially. He could do no mighty work there, only a few healings. But the plan was different. The plan was a mighty work. Yet Jesus was limited because of the unbelief. And I can't even get my head around that, really. How can Almighty God, in the person of Jesus be limited because of others' refusal to believe. But that is the case. And I believe that if we tolerate it, if we don't deal with it, then what will happen is is that we too will be limited to just a couple of healings here and there. And I believe the ditches that we've got to dig mean that, that there's more than that. That these ditches are going to be over the whole valley. And what we don't want is we don't want the first, the first sort of ditch that what God's got to pour out into suddenly gets blocked by this unbelief. 
that comes because clearly it can limit us and it can limit what God wants to do. And if I'm honest, I think sometimes that we as the church, and I mean the kind of the, the wider church, but us as a church have settled for a few healings, the odd kind of supernatural occurrence, and we, we celebrate them, which, which is good. It's not like I don't want us to celebrate them, but actually we've celebrated them in a way that what we're saying is this is what the kingdom now looks like. So our unbelief has limited what God can do to a few healings. And what we've done is we've said, well, this is what the kingdom now must look like. But God's got a different plan for us. He wants to do mighty works. But our unbelief means he might only be able to do a few healings. And we've got to be careful that we don't end up in a situation that makes or paints the picture that that's what the kingdom of not yet looks like in the now. Are Are you tracking with me on this? And we could inadvertently do it. And I think sometimes we we get those two or three healings that Jesus is limited to doing. And we think, this is it. And there is so much more. There is so much more. And it's it's a challenge for us, isn't it? It's it's difficult, the whole now and the not yet stuff. but, But I'm determined that there is more of the not yet for us to have in the now. I'm absolutely convinced of it. And we need to make sure that it's not our unbelief that prevents it happening. And, and you know, the New Testament is, is littered with people full of unbelief. You're in good company. We're in good company. Jesus said, oh, ye of little faith. All the time, he's, he's, he's attacking unbelief wherever he sees it. You know, you read something like the Great Commission. We all love the Great Commission. But just verses before, he is tackling unbelief in the disciples. And he says, why didn't you believe the testimony of the women? There's a whole can of worms I could open there. But but he was addressing unbelief right before he gave the Great Commission. He's looking to break that boulder of unbelief as he releases the flow of the Spirit into the ditches that that need to be dug. And Jesus constantly does that. He rebukes unbelief all the time. And And he always responds to faith, doesn't he? He always responds to faith, even when he didn't plan to. The, 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 the woman whose who's, uh, daughter was, was possessed, he said, I've not come for you. I've not come for the Gentiles. It's not on the, it's not on the plan. And we know Jesus only did what the Father said and, and, and did what he saw him doing. I'm not going to do it. So he didn't see the Father doing it. Didn't hear the Father saying it. But as soon as the woman's faith came, it moved the heart of the Father. So then Jesus suddenly did see the father doing it. Because he never did anything the father didn't do. But actually, in this city, we saw the father doing something, 
He had a bigger plan for the city, but it was restricted by the unbelief. So we can move the heart of the Father with our faith, but actually we can restrict the plans of the Father because of our, of our unbelief. And there is something about the human heart where belief and unbelief can exist at the same time. You know, the guy whose, whose son was ill was trying to get the disciples to heal them, and suddenly Jesus and the other two, they come down. And, and he says, he says uh, if you can, says to Jesus, if you can heal my son. Jesus says, if? If all things are possible to those who believe. And what does the guy say? I believe, but help me with my unbelief. So belief and unbelief can exist in our heart at the same time. And so we have to learn how to address that and recognize it for what it is. And, and, and I guess the question for all of us, is unbelief affecting me? Is it affecting you? Now, what I've got is I've got a list of questions that I'm going to ask you to ask yourself rhetorically. <laughs> all right? And I just want you to think, what, how do you think about these? They should come up behind me. The first one is how we identify with these things ourselves. Number one, I find myself disappointed and let down by God when he doesn't seem to work or answer my prayers as I believe he should. So just be honest with yourself, okay? When I hear others' experiences of God's presence or power, my default response is cynical and I often try to analyse, minimise or disprove their claim. Others call me critical, but I feel they are naive and I am discerning. (laughs) I'm I'm hearing a lot of yes and amens in the room right there. I first perceive situations as impossible rather than possible with God. Prayer is usually a last resort for me. I doubt that God speaks to others as they claim because he doesn't speak to me in that way. I'm reluctant to receive prayer because it hasn't worked before. It's a biggie right there. I think my situation, my sins, my fears, my habits, my fill-in-the-blanks, whatever it happens to be, will never change. You've resigned yourself. I have a tendency to worry and have anxiety and fear about many things. I often control people and situations because I'm afraid to let go and trust God even when I know I should. Now, I was startled by that list. It's not my list. But I was startled as I looked at that list at just how many things, when I sat and looked in my heart of hearts, that I identified with. I found it startling. Um, And it's one of those things that, that as we look at that in our hearts, we just think there's seeds of unbelief in all of those things. And we have to be really certain that we just don't let them come and, and fill the ditches that we are so diligently wanting to dig. And I think, you know, I do want to say that it's really important that we recognise unbelief and we, we, we have to make sure that we're not just being cynical. But I do want to say that when I hear something that seems implausible to me, I do want to investigate it. I don't know if you know, but not everything that's on YouTube is true. I'm just putting it out there. Obviously, you know, we're from down south. We know stuff. (laughs) 
might not have reached, it might not have come this, oh, he's got YouTube, yeah, yeah, you think he's joking. Um, so, do you know what I mean, we've got we've to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. So if there's something that, that kind of rattles my implausibility meter, then I want to investigate it. But I want to investigate it like the Barian Jews that we read about in Acts 14. Now, most of us don't do that. What we tend to do is if we hear something that we, we've got our un- unbelief starting to kind of grab hold of, our skepticism, cynicism starting to grab hold of, what we do is we go to the scriptures to prove that we're right, to hold that view. So we receive the testimony with cynicism and with skepticism and we go to the scriptures to prove that they're wrong. But the Berean Jews, what happened was, was when Paul came, he said they received his testimony with joy and then they went to the scriptures to see if what he was saying was true. It's how we receive the testimony that makes the difference. Now, it may be that we go to the scriptures and find out it's not true. And that's okay. What have you lost? Nothing. Except that you haven't allowed the seed of unbelief to start to germinate in your life. So we want to receive what we hear, the testimonies from different stables that you might have an opinion about or you might not have an opinion. Let's receive it with joy. And let's go to the scriptures to see if it's true. So important. Otherwise, we just let the seed of unbelief germinate in our life. The other thing to do is to recognize it's a choice. Unbelief is a choice. Belief is a choice. And you know, the last time I checked is is that you were made in the image of God. Last time I checked. And I'm not sure he is cynical, skeptical, or has any unbelief. So please do not tell me that's just the way you're made. Now, you may say, well, Andy, you know, it's original sin. It's just because I'm in Adam. So it is the way I'm made. Let me tell you that you were in Christ before you were in Adam. Because you were in Christ before the creation of the world. I'll just leave that one with you. So it's not how we're made, it's how we've learned to be. Because we know as a nation we're a bunch of cynics. We are. So that must mean it's learned behaviour. So we have learned to do that. We have passed that on to our children. So recognise it's a choice. You know, when, when Jesus... Um, was asked to heal Jairus' daughter. You know, he got sidetracked doing all sorts of other things and then the guys come back and they say to Jairus, don't worry him anymore, she's already dead. And Jesus says, says to her, he said, do not fear, or him, do not fear, only believe. That's a choice right there. Don't fear. Don't be full of unbelief. Choose to believe it's a choice and I think 
just in terms of kind of where we are, we've got to kind of recognize some of those things. And I want us to get real with each other and with ourselves, what's going on in our lives. And I know as I've spoken about these things, that there's stuff going off in people right now. And so I want to say, if that's you, if you recognize the seeds of unbelief, there's areas of unbelief, if you're you're feeling the Holy Spirit putting your finger on it right now, why don't you just stand where you are? Well done. I know this is a tough environment for this because we're all supposed to be church leaders and we're all supposed to be kind of getting on with it. But this is a real time of breakthrough. There's a moment of grace comes when God speaks like this. There's a moment of grace. Anyone else? Anyone else? I think particularly you know, there's people that you know that you you kind of hear testimony and you know you've immediately gone to unbelief over it when you hear stuff. That's you. Just, Just stand. Or you... You always see the negative, straight away. Straight away. You're going to get breakthrough. You're going to come into faith. Going once, anyone else? Going twice? See, so yeah, yeah. Put the, put the screws on. There we go. Look, I'll tell you a quick, very quick story. There was a guy, sorry, you can stand up because you're going to get a mass. The longer you stand, the more blessing you'll get, all right? That's how it works. All right? <laughs> As a guy, I brought up uh, uh, a word of knowledge in our church, and it was, it was all to do with pipe work, kind of down here, all right? Just, let's just say that, pipe work. And um, I, was, I, was, uh, I was bringing this, and I just said, you know, if that's you, if you're struggling with your pipe work, just stand where you are, okay? People stood just like you're standing. And, uh, and we prayed for them, and people then sat down, and I carried on. And after the meeting, a very well-meaning older lady came and rebuked me uh, for being so insensitive and, and making people stand with this embarrassing condition. And blah, blah, blah. So I just blessed her and thanked her for her input and, and didn't think too much more about it. Two weeks later, I got an email from a guy who'd been suffering with irritable bowel syndrome. And he said, for years I've suffered with this and I've received much prayer. And every time I've received prayer, the symptoms have gone. And then about two days later, they come back. And he said, when you asked me to stand, I said to the Holy Spirit, there is no way on God's green earth I'm going to stand in front of all these people for this. And he said, the Holy Spirit spoke to me in that moment. And he said, do you want your breakthrough more than your reputation? Do you want your healing more than what people are going to think of you? And he said, and as I received, and I stood and received prayer, nothing has come back. And and to my knowledge from conversation with him, it's still not come back. And so there's a moment where you get to get for free what you're going to have to work for later if you don't stand. So it's not a threat, it's just my experience. I used to say, if you don't stand now, I'll give you a headbutt if you come and speak to me later. But I will pray for you later. I just think there's a moment of grace where you get to get for nothing what you're going to have to work for if you come and get it later. Oh, there we go. We've got a few more standing now. So... (laughs) Now, you've heard me say before, I don't believe in a man of power for the hour. I believe in the Holy Spirit is the one 
that moves mountains. It's the Holy Spirit that breaks chains. It's the Holy Spirit that brings breakthrough. It's not me. So if you're in faith and you're near these folk that are stood, get your hands on them. Let's pray for them together. Believe in the priesthood of all believers, don't we? Okay, so just make sure that you're praying with someone, you're standing with someone. And then I'll hand over in a moment to Hazel. Wonderful. Thank you, Jesus. Let's, let's not spectate, church. Let's participate. Let's get your hands on those people. Don't be embarrassed. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you, Lord God, that you have called us, you have given us clear instruction to dig ditches that will carry the flow of your spirit, the flow of revival, Lord, to the nations. And Lord God, we recognize that there are things that can come and that can block the flow of your spirit in our lives, in our churches, in our towns and cities, and in our nation and beyond. And Father, we just want to come against this rock of unbelief right now in Jesus' name. And we break it, we break it in Jesus' name. We speak to it and say, be gone. Be gone right now. Faith, come. Faith, come. Let faith come. Let hope arise. Let the enemies of anxiety and fear and unbelief and skepticism be scattered right now in Jesus' name. And Father, we pray, Lord, for breakthrough. We pray for breakthrough. Lord, let uh, testimonies be received with joy. We break unbelief right now in Jesus' name. We break it off these wonderful folk. Thank you, Jesus. They are new creations. They're no longer naturally cynical, sceptical. We're full of faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Wonderful. Wonderful. Just before Hazel speaks, just, just one more thing I just wanted to touch on. And that was, what have you become satisfied with? And, you know, I know Paul says, I've learned to be content in all circumstances. But contentment and satisfaction are not the same thing. So I think it's important that we learn to be content in all circumstances, but doesn't mean I have to be satisfied with them. And I wonder if we've learned to be content with the not yet of the kingdom, and at the same time we become satisfied with that's what it is. And it's that satisfaction and confusion over that with contentment. It's that if we become satisfied with the one or two healings that are a result of our unbelief, rather than this massive breakthrough of all that God wants to do, and we've been content with the not yet of the kingdom, but we've learned to be satisfied with it as well. And so I just feel there's a moment right now where I can, I can impart something to you, a dissatisfaction. Remain content, but a dissatisfaction with the not yet of the kingdom that you're seeing. So if you want that, I'm going to give you a, for free what I've had to work hard for. So if that's what you want, why don't you stand, I'll impart it. We'll, we'll just pray right now. A holy discontent with the not yet of the kingdom, not being in the now. 
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Put your hand on the person next to you because it looks like nearly everyone's standing. If you're not standing, then reach around for the person that is. Your Father, we just want to say, Lord God, you are so good to us. Thank you, Lord, that you have shown us, Lord, because you do nothing without revealing your plans to the prophets, Father. Thank you that you've shown us these ditches. You've shown us where it is we need to dig. You've shown us, Lord, what it is we need to remove that blocks, those ditches. But right now, Father, we say, Lord, we, we know what it is to be content in all circumstances, but we do not want to become satisfied with the few healings that come as a result of our unbelief, Lord God. We want to become dissatisfied. We want a holy discontent to come on us, Lord God, that we would not be, be simply uh, just satisfied with, with what we're seeing, Lord. We, we don't want to be satisfied with that. We don't, we don't believe that is, is the, the, the not yet of the kingdom you have for us in the now. And Lord God, we say, come, come, come. Father, I pray, release that over everybody that stood over every church and city that's represented right now. Lord God, let us not be satisfied. Let our contentment not be the same as satisfaction. Lord God, we're, we're not satisfied, Lord, with what we're seeing. Lord, we'll remain content. In you, you are enough for us. You are enough for us, Lord God. But Father, because you are such a good Father, Lord, we can come and say we're not satisfied with what we've learned to be content with. Lord, we want to we want to come after the more that you've got for us. And Father, I just want to pray right now for every everybody that stood. Lord, would you release it? Right now, would you release, Lord God, that sense of dissatisfaction that wants to pursue, that wants to be hungry and thirsty after all that you've said. Lord, you've spoken. You have spoken. And we want to dig those ditches. We want to clear all the rubbish that gets caught up in them, Lord, so that we can partner with you. And we can do what we can do. And now we need you to come and do what only you can do. Lord, would you bring, would you give us more of the not yet of the kingdom in the now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Wonderful. Wonderful. Look, I'm saving the best till last. I don't clap just yet. All right, I'm going to, I've saved the best till last. And one of the big boulders uh, that, that blocks the flow of the spirit in the ditches is fear. And Hazel, we're going to come and speak to us about that. Okay, thank you so much for um, inviting us to be with you. It's been um, it's been really inspiring. We've loved being with you, and as Andy said, you know, we, we're just excited about digging these ditches. And I'm going to speak about fear because I believe that fear is one of the main weapons that the enemy uses to take us out completely if we're not careful. It can paralyze us and just make us completely ineffective in what we're doing. Um, I work as a pharmacist in mental health, and so obviously in my line of work, I see crippling degrees of fear and anxiety, and I'll probably use these two words kind of interchangeably. Um, for me, I, I kind of think that fear is maybe something that we're aware of in our minds. The anxiety will come out in our bodies, and we can feel very, very anxious. You know, we, we can feel it. Um, so I'll use those two interchangeably. It's our body's response to fear. Um, I sit in priory waiting rooms every week, and as I'm flipping through the newspapers, I see that our teenagers 
are suffering with anxiety to epidemic proportions. Our little kids have got anxiety issues, apparently. And um, something I read the other week was about our high-achieving um, sort of single 20s women, career women, massively anxious, just suffering with fear and anxiety. Um, and it, it is becoming an epidemic. And I think for some of us, we may, we may have experience of that. We may recognize, we may have experienced that ourselves or, or know somebody that's very close to us that's gone through something like that. Um, and I'll just say as a, as a sideline, um, being a pharmacist, I, I don't think drugs are the answer, but I do think they can play a very important part. And just, I mean, if you want to talk to me more about that afterwards, please do. But I think, you know, as church leaders, we need to make sure that we support people if they're on a journey and that's part of their treatment and just not stigmatize it at all and to support them. Um, Many of us haven't experienced anxiety to that degree, but we're aware that life is anxious, isn't it? The world is an anxious place. There's so much going on and I think our media just feeds our anxiety or looks to all the time. We've had, you know, we have the terror attacks, we have Brexit and all the kind of instability that looked to cause. And, and the media is constantly kind of pumping into our anxiety. I mean, we, um, Andy read a, a story in the paper back in the summer, um, sometime at the end of last year, I think. Did you read it about a gorilla that had escaped in a zoo? And the headlines would have you believe that this gorilla was rampaging down the high street at being a danger to like everybody in its path. And then when you actually read the story, it was still in, a, in an enclosed area. It was secure. It wasn't anywhere near the public. And, you just, and this is how we're fed headlines, aren't we, all the time to ramp up our anxiety levels. I think um, for us, there will be aware that all of us fear stuff we maybe fear you know job security for me I'm in my 50s now most of my friends are in their 50s and health is a massive thing I do quite well as a pharmacist in sort of friends gatherings because they're constantly asking me all their health issues and you know what medication they're on and things and it, and, and it becomes a very anxious time you know we can worry just about normal things um but I've become aware just as I've started thinking about this Um, this subject, I've become aware that I can experience massive anxiety, sometimes completely unexpectedly can come and overwhelm you, and I'm sure many of us have. I mean, times for me, sometimes like even holidays sometimes, which you think would be really exciting because of the lack of um, maybe structure and I've become aware that I build things quite well, kind of quite structured around my life. And I think we often get a great security from that. You may be not like me at all, but for some of us, we do. And then when all that's taken away, it can be a really anxious time. Apologize for my glasses. I can't see because I'm in my 50s. Um, Okay. um, As leaders, obviously, we have a lot of things of fear. We're many times out of our comfort zones, aren't we? I mean, I think of Peter in the boat, you know, he got out of the boat, he looked around, he was scared, he was fearful, and, and as leaders, we, we often have to get out of the boat, don't we? We're just often in that position. Also, with, with Paul, um, he lists all his trials, 
that list of things that he's been through. And then he says, on top of that, I have the worry of all the churches. So as leaders, I think it would be lovely to think that we could just float through life on a cloud of peace. But we're not immune to these things, are we? We we take responsibility for others. Um, We take responsibility for their spiritual development, their lives to some extent. and, And that can give us anxiety that can make us fear things. I mean, some of the things we may fear is, what if I let these people down? What if they um, realize I don't have all the answers? <laughs> I mean, we know we don't, but sometimes we think, what if they realize we don't? Um, what happens if they don't want me to lead anymore? What happens when that time comes? What do I do then? That, you know, sometimes our whole identity can be tied up in that thing, and that can be a very anxious time. How do I keep this momentum going? I mean, we can be worried about get, getting momentum, but once it's going... What if it stops? <laughs> We've been through that, haven't we? What do we do then? Um, I think for me, I've, I found it interesting that Ginny mentioned about the celebrity culture. I think for me, I've often feared um, being sort of in public, something like this, I would find quite scary, you could probably tell. And, um, and I'm not, I haven't been quite sure why it is, but I think as I, as I drill down into it, I think this celebrity thing can be quite scary because sometimes you can, be, you can be up the front somewhere and, and you get a lot of attention and you're never quite sure if, that's, if you're making genuine friendships, genuine contacts, you know, things like this, and you can, you can kind of fall from celebrity very quickly as well. And I think for me that's been something that I feared to, to the point that, you know, you can be disobedient and just step back. I think, well, you know, it's self-preservation, but it's, it's fear, really, that's, that's kind of governing those decisions. Now, the Bible tells us not to fear. In Philippians 4, you'll know the verse, do not be anxious about anything, but by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God, and the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And to Timothy, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love, and self-control. So as Andy said, you know, if the Bible tells us to do something, God is saying we have a choice. He's not telling us to do something that we can't possibly do. I've been thinking a lot recently about resilience. Um, In terms of materials, if a material is resilient, you can kind of push it or crush it or bend it and it will go back. It will sort of spring back to the same shape. And so emotionally, it means that, you know, we can be robust under stress um, there was a guy called Norman Garmezi. He's a clinical psychologist, and he's the father of the resilience theory. Um, and he said it is of, it's of more importance than training or intelligence. And I think, you know, for me, I want to finish strong. I want to learn how to be resilient. And I think one of the key things that I need to learn to do is to deal with fear kind of proactively and effectively. So we're going to have a look at a Bible story. Um, where they came to the edge of the promised land. Do you remember they'd been in, they'd been in Egypt for 430 years? They come to the edge of the promised land, and then God tells them to send spies into the land um, to see if it's as, they, uh, as he promised it would be. And he sends 12 guys, one from each tribe, and two come out responding with faith, and 10 respond with fear. And we're just going to have a look at the story and just get some of the points out of that, just practically how we can start to deal with fear. So I'll read from Numbers 13. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, Go up through the the Negev and onto the hill country. 
See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Is it unwalled or fortified? How's the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do you best to bring back some of the fruit of the land? So the first thing was that God told them to take a survey of the land and, and, you know, just to face the facts and to get a perspective of what they were looking at. He tells them to look at it carefully, to look at what the challenges will be, to see what the rewards will be, to see whether it was as he promised or not. And this is a really important thing for us. We have to face the facts. We have to look them square in the face. It's no good being in denial. It's no good squashing stuff. Um, God wasn't trying to pull the wool over their eyes in any way. A friend of mine um, recently, her child um, was about 10, I think, and was sick and had never been sick before and became terrified. Now, this lady I work with, she's one of the top consultants that I work with. So, you know, she was able to, she was trying to reassure her daughter, telling her everything, looking at everything it could be. And this kid looked like they were going to develop an eating disorder kind of overnight. They started losing weight. It became suddenly a very anxious thing and it was huge. And she kept saying to her, look, trust me, trust me, I'm a doctor, you're not going to be sick. And then she was sick, and suddenly the whole thing just got thrown out of the window. She didn't respect her mama, all that expertise and everything went to nothing. And, um, you know, because she said something to her that just wasn't, she couldn't sort of make happen. Um, luckily, well, not luckily, we, we prayed, <laughs> we, we prayed and, and she's really good now. She was sort of delivered. I really believe she was heading to this eating disorder and we prayed and, and broke it and she's really good now. But, um, but the prisoner of prisoners of war in the camps, um, the ones that didn't make it, I found this interesting. I read this the other day were the optimists. I found that fascinating. You would think that the optimists would be the ones that got through. But because they didn't learn to face reality, they just didn't have a grasp on reality and they were just pitching their kind of ideas up here and it wasn't going to happen. Then when they continually got disappointed, it just crushed them. And, And many of them didn't make it. Whereas the ones that are more, you know, I'm not saying don't be positive, but we do need to be grounded in the facts and and look at the facts. The other thing was that God told them to get a perspective. He said, go up to the hills, um, look down on the city of Jericho. And they looked down and anything from up there is going to look quite small, isn't it? You kind of, we go to a place in um, Romania called Brashov and it's one of those old medieval kind of walled cities. And it's huge when you're walking around, but you go up to one of the high points and you look down and, you know, it just, it just looks small. It looks, you can kind of see, see everything from up there. And this is really important to us as well, just get God's perspective. Many times things look impossible to us, but we need to make sure we're getting God's perspective, not just looking from our own. One of the stories um, that I think illustrates this really well was the first time I met Rosie um, when was uh, when uh, we used to have like ladies gatherings together, didn't we? And, and we met Rosie, and they were in a position where they were, had given their house to their kids. And they were looking at, I think you were in retirement, weren't you, if that such a thing is possible. <laughs> but they didn't have a big salary coming in or anything like that. And, and they'd got to get another house and a mortgage. And I remember Rosie saying, the, the financial challenge just looks insurmountable. And she said that God had given her this dream where she looked at this cliff 
And it just, it just looked like this insurmountable, massive thing that she was looking up at. And she felt God say, come, come close up to the cliff. And as she walked up, she could see that there were these tiny little steps the whole way through. And it was, it was just such a good story at, at getting God's perspective on what was going to happen. And they've moved. They've got a great place. They're here in Horsham, uh, with us in Horsham. And it all worked out, didn't it? It was really good. So that's why prayer is so important for us, you know, just to get God's heart on an issue, to get his perspective. Um, There's always hope. I mean, we need to ask God how he sees the situation. In Romans 8, it says, the spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know how we ought to pray, but the spirit himself intercedes for us. And, you know, I think this is really important, speaking tongues, pray in the spirit for us to to be able to get God's heart on an issue and, and to be able to ask him, you know, how, how does this look to you? It's looking hopeless. We need to get really honest with God and say, it looks hopeless to me. Does it look hopeless to you? Is there anything you can do? And I mean, God, I can guarantee God isn't going to say, yep, hopeless. There isn't anything. You will never get that answer. You will never get that answer. But sometimes we, we get scared, don't we? And we, we don't know how to pray. And, um, there was a quote uh, from a guy called F.B. Meyer, and he said, the greatest tragedy is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. And I found that really provoking to me, because sometimes it gets too big, and, and you almost are scared to even pray. Okay, I'll just go back to the next part of our story then, back to Numbers. We're going in at verse 26. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land and gave Moses this account. We went into the land which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey and here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. And we even saw descendants of the Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live along the hill country, and the Canaanites live uh, near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses, and he said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people, they are stronger than we. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored, and they said, The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw were of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of the Anak came from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. So the second thing I want to pull out, it's probably not exactly mentioned there, but I want to speak about how they had seen God's character over time, and that our faith is supposed to be built on that. We are supposed to build on those things, not start from ground zero every time. And for Joshua and Caleb, that made a difference. You remember that they'd they'd seen the plagues, they'd gone through the Red Sea, they'd seen all these amazing miracles. And for Joshua and Caleb, they knew that, that God could do it, and that was enough for them. For the others, it wasn't enough. It didn't seem to gain any traction. And this is why it's really important for us to share testimony because we can build on the testimony of other people's experiences. You know, if God does it for somebody, he'll do it for us. If he's done it before, he'll do it again. 
And I'd like to think that I'd be full of faith having seen some of these things. Can you imagine walking through the Red Sea? If it's anything like Prince of Egypt where they've got the walls of water and, you know, you you think you would be full of faith, wouldn't you? But it just didn't gain any traction with them. In Exodus 9, it says, I will send all the plagues on you and on your servants and your people so you will know that there is none like me in all the earth. This was designed to display the might of God. And for Joshua and Caleb, that was enough. They knew he could do it. And God expects that. I can say that confidently because, well, I know for me, if, I've, if somebody just doesn't trust me and I've never given them any reason, in fact, I've given them the opposite, you're going to get ticked off when they continually just don't trust you, aren't you? And some of you will remember, I remember this so well, in the old days of Stonely, do you remember a guy called C.J. Mahaney? Many, many of you will remember him. He did a sermon called Massa, Meribah, and Me. And it was all about this point they got to in the wilderness where they couldn't drink the water. And they questioned and they said, is God with us or not? After all these things, and God was angry with them because he's thinking, I've, I've shown you and now you're questioning me. And he was angry. Moses says that he was angry. In Deuteronomy, Psalms mentions it. Hebrews mentions it. It's clearly something that we're supposed to learn because the Bible says it so many times that God was angry because they just didn't believe him after all this. So we need to build faith on witness and testimony. Expect that God will do what he's done again. Expect that he's true to his character. And I think this is the great part of being in a body because for many of us, we would have seen God come through for us on certain things, but maybe not on other things. And, you know, it's great when you can pray for somebody. Like for me, for example, we didn't say much about our story last night, but we, Andy gave up a really high paid job to come and work for the church and got kind of 70% pay cut. And I went to work and I've been doing kind of locum work, so I just get shifts, it opens and closes quite quite a lot, all your shifts move around quite a lot, and so for me at the beginning that was a really anxious thing, thinking will I get enough work come in, we've still got to pay the mortgage and everything, and I can just testify to God's faithfulness over, over years, more than 10 years now of just constantly, if one job finishes, another one opens up and it just dovetails amazingly, I'm earning as much now as I was when I was full-time manager in Sainsbury's and I'm only working part-time and the rates have gone down so it, mathematically it doesn't doesn't work out but it it kind of does you know um so I happily pray for people about those things because I've got confidence that God can do that he can deliver jobs he can get you out of financial difficulty there'll be people that will have had real breakthrough in healing and we just need to learn to stand with each other where we've seen breakthrough Okay, so the third thing then that I would like to just pull out of this passage was about the promises. And I find it interesting, Jeremy's talked about promises this morning. I can't remember what it was, P something promises. (laughs) Do you remember? Prophetic promises, that was good. So they they had promises. They had some general promises. They had, uh, back in Exodus 3.17, it says, I promise... I'll bring you out of the affliction of, the, of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they'd seen, they said, yeah, it's indeed so. That general, general promise that we can see that it is a land flowing with milk and honey. But one of the things that I think made um, Caleb different was that he had specific promises. 
the, the Anak, these, these people were known as the strong and tall people. Anak, the word Anak means long neck. <clears throat> and if you go back to Genesis 49, when Jacob gathered the 12 tribes and he gave them all their... Do you remember he blessed them all in different ways? He said to the tribe of Judah, of which Caleb was a part, your feet will be on the neck of your enemies. So I just found it, you know, Caleb would have known this for sure. Caleb would have been aware. It would have been passed down. And so he's thinking there's these big, strong, long-necked guys, but my foot is going to be on their long necks. Bring it on. <laughs> he's just thinking that that isn't, he, he knew that his reward was going to be there. He knew what he was going after, and he, he could believe that he could beat that threat. And I, I found fairly recently that when they captured the kings... Well, I'll read it in Joshua 10, a bit further on. It says, open the mouth of the cave, Joshua said, and bring those five kings out for me. So he brought the five kings out of the cave, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon. And when they brought the kings to Joshua, he summoned all the men of Israel and said to the army commanders, come here and place your feet on the necks of these kings. And so they came forward and put their feet on their necks. It was amazing, isn't it? He thought, yeah, we're going to actually do this because this is my promise. He owned his promise and he hung on to it. Um, and further on in Joshua 14, he said, you, I mean, I'll come back to it in a bit, but at the end when they say they're not going to go into the land, God sends them wandering for 40 years. And this, so this was, you know, the whole generation, apart from Joshua and Caleb, were going to die then in the wilderness. But in Joshua 14, when they'd done the 40 years, he said, I'm still as strong today as the, this is Caleb, I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm as vigorous to go into battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me to that day. You yourself heard that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. So this is like a resilient leader. Years of disappointment, unfulfilled hopes, but he kept himself strong, full of faith and hope, and he held on to his promise because he knew that his reward was beyond on the other side of the battle. And and often that is the case, isn't it? And we're facing some battles right now. And, and Dave said on the, or Rosie said on the way up, it, it must be something really worth fighting for because this this is a battle. There's got to be something on the other side of this, you know. And um, that is very often the case, isn't it? That the enemy wants to take us out in the area where we're supposed to have our reward, where we're supposed to take ground. And, and I wonder sometimes whether it feels like the enemy knows our potential better than we do sometimes. Because he always goes in with something and sometimes we're not even aware that he's trying to take us out where we're supposed to go and win the battle. Um, Julian Adams would be a great example of that. All his issues with speaking and just not being able to speak as a kid. And now, you know, he's, he's God's mouthpiece. He's amazing, isn't he? Prophet of God. So, you know, this is, this is um, just what we see, a principle that we see. In Genesis 50, it says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring, bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. What the enemy meant for evil, God turned to good. I'm sure many of us can testify to the fact that if we'll go through, hang on to the promises, then we will get the reward on the other side. So this just leads me on to our, um, the very last part, just in Numbers 14. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. 
All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said, if only we'd died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us into a land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose another leader and come back to Egypt. That might ring true with some of you. (laughs) Maybe a position you've been in. Um, So the power of positive or negative words and declarations is another thing that I just want to mention. Two of them have said, yep, come on, let's go for it. Ten of them said no. And I mean, I know for them, there there were ten that were saying no, but very often it's interesting, isn't it, how we're much more easily swayed by the negative. We much more easily listen to that than the positive reports. That can just be be the case very often with us. But Caleb said, the land, oh no, this is the, the bad report that they brought. The land which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants. All the people we saw are of great height. Now that to me, I thought, well, that wasn't true, was it? All the people weren't of great height. There were the giants, but there were all those others as well. But all of a sudden, it's like all the people are of great height. The land's devouring the people that go there. And their fear starts to escalate. And this is something I think we need to be careful of as well. Things run around our minds, and they start to get much, much bigger than they really are. I think especially as women, I don't want to be sexist, but I know our, our brains have been likened to a big ball of wire where everything is connected to everything else. And, you know, that can make us really intuitive. That can be a great thing. But sometimes just things can escalate very, very quickly for us. And, and things that we think will eventually come out of our mouths. Make no mistake about it. In Proverbs it says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. So our words have great power. And sharing a negative report will never help anyone. See, Joshua and Caleb were saying, the land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, and they were pretty sure that he did, he'll bring us into this land, he'll give it to us. Only don't rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed. The Lord is with us. Do not fear. So they'd said it devours its inhabitants. He's going, they're bread for us. He just saw it so totally differently. But they outvoted him, and the consequences were dire. Forty years wandering around in the wilderness. And, you know, for us, the consequences might not be that severe. But I think when we find that fear causes us to shy away from a decision or make a bad decision or just opt out of things, if it's governed by fear, it's not just that we'll miss out but we actually go into rebellion against God if we're not careful. And this is what happened to them. You know, fear can keep us bound, stop us doing um, what God wants. And in, in John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that they may have life. So, you know, if you're finding that you're fearful about things and it's robbing life from you, if it's stealing your joy, if it's, you know, um, destroying relationships, all those things, that, that's your kind of litmus test. This is from the enemy. We need to come against this. It always will be. So we need to just make sure that we don't get sucked into this negative thinking. One of the most sobering parts of the book of Job, I find, is where, where that little sentence, what I feared most, came upon me. So just to, um, just to summarize, just having looked at that story, there's just a few points that I, I tried to sort of bring out to take a survey of the situation, get God's perspective on it, 
to build on God's character over time and our experiences and to look at promises. In Numbers it says God is not human that he should lie. He's not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? The obvious answer being no, he wouldn't do that. And don't spread a bad report. I find um, the story of Jericho was funny where they're all walking around and, and they're not allowed to talk. And you think, well, no wonder God said don't talk because they would have been one, thinking, well, I can't say this is going to work. It's ridiculous. Um, so he said, just don't, don't talk. Zachariah got struck dumb, didn't he? Because of, you know, his unbelief. And, and you know, we're just better to say nothing. If, we cut, if we're going to say something negative, just don't say anything. Okay, so... I mean, I'd like to give an opportunity to respond if, if you want to. There were some of you that, there's a couple of things I felt, I mean, the obvious one being fear. There'll be a few of you that maybe just know that, yeah, I'm really anxious about a particular situation or a particular thing. You're just feeling that, that anxiety that you're not able to control. And we really want to, you know, get, pray for you, get around you and pray for you, just as Andy's done earlier on. Um, the other area where I wanted to where I really felt God prompted me to ask about was um, where you've done that thing, like Job said, what I feared most came upon me. There's been something that you feared, and then it's happened. And that's really, the weight of disappointment can be crushing, can't it? That is really hard when that happens. I've, I've lost um, a couple of good friends this year because they've fallen out one way or another with the church. They either haven't needed what I can give them anymore, or they've fallen out on me because I'm the church you know in their, in their kind of eyes and you know that whole fear thing about are these friendships real and and then you lose something oh so disappointing so yeah so I mean I'd love you to stand if anyone recognizes that they're facing fear I'd love you to stand I just want to pray for you or if you feel disappointment because your fears have indeed come true and that's that's crushing I'll just pray <laughs> Okay, yeah, I mean, I'd love to, I've had experiences like this myself, just working through things where I think you just know that God's saying, yeah, now it's time to hand it over. And, and just in doing that, he can just completely wipe it out, just melt it away, melts away disappointment. And we're just going to ask him to do that now as you, as you submit, yeah. Yeah, Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're so good, you're so kind, you're so gracious. We just thank you that you speak to us and when it's time you ask us to lay down things. And I just want to pray for my brothers and sisters here that as they lay down these disappointments, as they lay down these fears, as they voice to you right now what those things are, as they lay them down, would you come with your peace, Holy Spirit, right now? Would you come in and bring peace, bring healing? Lord God, I pray that you'd melt away disappointment, that you'd bring peace where there's been anxiety, that you'd bring a still calmness, Lord, that you would bring a renewed trust in you. I thank you that you have their backs, that you will bring them through to the other side. You will bring the reward for this suffering that they've had. I would just ask you to come right now, Lord God.